from digitiki.com. Aloha. It is showtime now in Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. You know, the same scientific equipment that guides rockets to the moon is used to make Jose and his little friends in the Tiki Room sing, talk, move, and practically think for themselves. But why don't we let Jose speak for himself? Now, friends, before we see the show, I take you behind the scene for a few moments. Welcome to the Quiet Village. Welcome back, folks. I've got my Mai Tai with me. I hope you've got yours with you. And you know what that means. That means it's time for another visit, another edition here of The Quiet Village. I'm your host, Digitiki, coming to you direct from digitiki.com in the heart of The Quiet Village. And I've got a very, very special episode of The Quiet Village coming up. And uh, I know I always say it's a special edition of The Quiet Village, but... uh, Well, you know, being in paradise, every edition of The Quiet Village is special, but this one is particularly special because I am honored to have, later on in the last half of The The Quiet Village, I will be visited by none other than the original Disneyland VIP hostess for the Enchanted Tiki Room, Diana Lai, and you will recognize her face. She is on all the uh, postcards and promo material from the original opening of the Tiki Room. She got to work very close with Walt Disney personally and got to see the whole thing being built, and it's a really, really fascinating, fascinating story, so stick around. But for a very special edition of The Quiet Village, I'll make it even more special, kicking off this edition of The Quiet Village, I am privileged to announce I have a pre-release track from the Tikiaki Orchestra from their newest album that's coming out very soon entitled Swingin' Sounds for the Jungle Jet Set. I love that title. Here from that album, you guys get a preview of this. This is a tune, great tune, called Singapore Swing, right here on The Quiet Village.
slam, and that is the Tikiaki Orchestra Singapore Swing from their newest upcoming album, Swingin' Sounds for the Jungle Jet Set. I love that title. And by the way, the Tikiaki Orchestra is having a huge CD release party June 27th at the new Don the Beachcomber in Huntington Beach, and uh, it is really promising to be a big, big shindig. It's going to be something really special. I invite you to, if you are in the area, you've got to go to this thing because they, they're pushing it up another notch. And you can really check that out by seeing the entire website that they did for this, this thing. It's now at tikiakiairways.com. That's right. They've started their own airline. They are taking over the world. tikiakiairways.com. And of course, you can always get there by going to tikiakiorchestra.com where you can get all the newest stuff. So moving right along... I am going to play a Brazilian tune, or actually it's kind of a Hawaiian tune done in Brazilian style. One of my favorite artists that I've get, got a lot of requests for is Lisa Ono. And she's a Japanese artist, and most of her music is predominantly available only in Japan, and uh, including this album. But it is you can find it here and there at some import shops and whatnot. She did an entire album album of Hawaiian music, but in Brazilian bossa nova style, and it is really fantastic. The album is called Bossa Hula Nova, and here is a wonderful tune from that album by Lisa Ono. This is called Sway It, Hula Girl. De luar, a brisa vem tomar Eu no teu olhar, uma estrela no céu Sinto teu desejo, a querer o teu beijo E na rua uma lua de mel Os meus pés no chão e a sedução Da flor encravada nos cabelos em trança O balanço nos braços como ave Batendo as asas na dança Danço a rula ruki e o cha-cha-cha Sou estrela no céu Vem tocar meu corpo sensual Quero ouvir você chamar Ao te ver dançar Deixo o meu olhar Preso ao teu Estrela no céu Todo meu desejo É te dar um beijo E contigo dançar Pula, Senhor 
tune that one was dedicated to Soren Christensen who has been sending me a lot of great music that is actually a tune uh by Les Baxter called Girl from Uganda and uh, Soren sent me a copy of the album of by its alternate title which is also called Boogaloo in Brazil and it even has a different song title I believe but that is actually from the African Blue album by Les Baxter which is out on CD and that's called Girl from Uganda, and also in the middle of that kind of Brazilian set, uh, a Hawaiian band called the Koki Band doing their version of Poinciana from their album Exotica 1970, and kicking off that set, of course, the wonderful voice of Lisa Ono and her uh, bossa nova version of Sway It, Hula Girl. And now I've got a really, really 
special tune. I, I found this, and I absolutely love it. I am a big fan of Herb Alpert. But believe it or not, there is a band out there that is doing uh, songs in the style of Herb Alpert. And they're based out of uh, Virginia, I believe. And uh, they are called Black Sombrero Brass. And they just did a fantastic album. I believe it's a self-produced album. I, I'm not sure if it's, if it's in stores or not. But you should definitely click on the link in your iTunes artwork viewer and visit their page and buy this CD. The, the CD is called Tijuana Road Trip. And they have done an excellent version of channeling the spirit of Herb Alpert. This is the Black Sombrero Brass doing their Herb Alpert version of Sukiyaki. You're going to love this. Thank you. 
was a soft tune. That was a tune called Soft Green Seas by Warren Barker, and that was from the soundtrack to Hawaiian Eye, which is available on CD, by the way, so go out and get that. It's got a lot of great tracks. Before that, we heard Hindara from the Robert Drasnan 1959 seminal album Voodoo, which is available on CD. If you don't have that one, that is a must for every dark tiki bar. In the middle of that set was a really good tune called Caravan. That was a version of Caravan by Axel Stordahl from his uh, 50s album Jasmine and Jade. A lot of uh, kind of orchestral semi-exotica there. Kind of cool. But kicking off that set, one of my newfound favorite albums, Black Sombrero Brass doing their version of Sukiyaki in the style of Herb Alpert. And that was from their album Tijuana Road Trip. Now it looks like we've got uh, cloudy skies ahead. We might have some rains in the tropics with Gene Rains, one of my favorites. Thank you. 
like a flame in the sky, flying over the island to my lover nearby, flamingo with your tropical. Ladies and gentlemen, come with us to a world of joyous songs and wondrous miracles. Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. That, of course, is the famous intro to the Enchanted Tiki Room. Actually, it's from the tikis outside of the Tiki Room that invite the um, the people in to the Tiki Room. And, of course, that music playing right now is from Walt Disney's Jungle Book. And that is very apropos because I have, in the quiet village, I'm very, very privileged to announce Diana Lai, who was the very first VIP hostess at the Enchanted Tiki Room in Disneyland. And she is quite famous. She's on the famous postcard that Disneyland sold from the opening of the Tiki Room all the way up until 2003. She was in a lot of publicity photos, got to work very closely and personally with Walt Disney, was actually hand-selected by Walt Disney to be the VIP hostess. And it turns out her stepson, Dano, on Tiki Central, that's his name, Uh, introduced me to her. So I met up with the two of them at uh, Diana's Valencia home 
She had so many incredible stories. I just really enjoyed talking with her, very privileged. And uh, so we talked about what it was like to be there at the beginning of the Tiki Room and to work personally and closely with Walt Disney. You were in college in Whittier uh, yes, when you uh, got the... I was at Whittier College. Yeah. When you applied at Disney? Yes. They had the politically incorrect advertisement, Oriental Girls Needed for a new attraction at Disneyland. My other Hawaii Club members said, hey, let's all go down and apply. And when I got there, Walt Disney himself was doing the interviewing. Yes, and he explained the attraction, that it was a new fascination of his called audio animatronics. And then he explained how that would translate to flowers and birds and stuff at at this tiki room. And he said he wanted exotic-looking girls to add to the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So that's why he had posted that ad. He specifically wanted a VIP hostess to tell everybody his passion with his project and to explain all the workings of it. And so he said he knew he wanted a college girl mm-hmm. and he wanted someone articulate. And that was the first time I heard that word. So I got hired, personally hired. I mean, even though the boss said he wanted to hire me, I still had to go through the protocol, right? Mm -hmm. So I had to take the math test, which was so easy, it was ridiculous. And um, then I had to take an English test, a writing test, then had to go through wardrobe. That, of course, after you're hired, then you go through wardrobe. When did you actually get the first look at the Tiki Room? I mean, did you see it before it was put together? Oh, yes. It was still under construction. Really? And everything was kind of a mess inside. The artists who were doing all the finishing work were just amazing. They were so meticulous in every detail, painting the tikis, um, finishing the, the chairs, the furniture that was installed. We used to joke about do something about the floor because the floor was little pebbles you know Mm -hmm. that it was kind of like rocks and we used to tease that all those white rocks made it look like the birds had left their droppings (laughs) 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 yeah but he said no he wanted a stone floor so that's the way it was going to be I said well it looks natural then (laughs) that man did not spare any expense in that park by the way it was after all named after him and it was going to be the happiest and cleanest place on earth I remember the, I think the Traders or something like that, which was across from the Tiki Room, and it sh- and it sold a lot of, um, of Polynesian stuff. In a way, I was I was a little sad that he had decided to stay with the Tiki Room as an attraction, a show attraction, instead of combining it with the Tahitian Terrace. I guess the original plan was to combine it as a restaurant um, show attraction because I was a professional dancer at that time, too, and I would have loved to to dance hula there. But no, I had to just hit the bird and say, wake up, Jose. (laughs) (laughs) What we would do is we would push the button Mm -hmm. um, to start the show, and then we would go out into the, um, the center of the tiki room with that little bamboo stick and tap on Jose's cage and say, wake up, Jose, it's time, it's show time. And then the bird would wake up and he'd say, ah, senorita. It was cued to have somebody do that first, a live interaction. 
Jose, wake up. It's your time. Oh, my siestas are getting shorter and shorter. Oh, look at all the people. And welcome to Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. Hey, Michael, me amigo, pay attention, it's Joe time. So it is. And what darling people I have sitting under me. Pierre, you rascal, you. Let's put on the show. We were, as, as ride operators, um, instructed to watch every bird and to listen to the soundtrack because there were 14, 17 soundtracks and even you could tell when the birds breasts puffed up and it looked like they were breathing and everything and when they turned their heads and every single little beak movement mm -hmm. of every bird had to match perfectly with the soundtrack and so we had to watch for that and if we saw anything that was out of sync anything at all we had to immediately report it to the um, Imagineers <laughs> there weren't engineers they were Imagineers mm -hmm. that worked downstairs the basement was twice the size of the Tiki Room and it, of course, back in those days, it housed mainframe computers, so they were gigantic, with these giant reels that ran each section of the show. And to have it all synchronized like that was, to me, just so amazing. Most little birdies will fly away, but the tiki room birds are here every day. I'm sure you probably memorized the whole show by then. Oh, of course. After, I've seen it more than 500 times, I think, or was it 5,000? I wrote that in my, my yeah. article. I can't remember the math right now. But um, it was three times an hour, eight hours a day. I worked there for three or four years, so... Tell me about how you were groomed to be the VIP hostess. Personally, by Walt Disney? Yeah. Well, uh, my eight-hour training shifts, I would say that I worked with him for at least four hours each time. Whenever I reported to work, he would greet me personally and, and then tell me little details about the show. And then he'd make me repeat it back to him to make sure that I had it right. He called me Little Lady. Well, he wanted, he said he wanted someone exotic, and I was a professional dancer, had the long hair, and, and I was instructed to, whenever um, VIPs came in, to take them through the upper tiki room, let them see the show, and then take them to the basement to introduce them to the Imagineers and all the workings down below. Wow. So I had to, to know all the facts and figures and stuff. So when I was pulled off the ride operating circuit, Mm -hmm. to host and the other late, the other kids would you know be a little bit envious I guess uh, I guess you don't have to do the dirty jobs today you get to take the famous people around and I got to meet celebrities and things working with Disney um he could just memorize everybody's name. He, yes, he, he knew names and he knew features. He knew I, at that time, was having to have four wisdom teeth extracted. The um, 
oral surgeon was only able to take out two at a time. So one side of my face was huge and puffed up when I went to work. And the attraction was not open yet, so it wasn't as though I was going to be seen by the public. And, and he noticed that I was all swollen, and I told him why. And the next week I came in and the other side was all swollen. And he noticed, he even said, you know, wasn't it the other side? And he, he remembered that it was, you know, that, that it was my right side that was swollen first. And I was surprised that a man that important with so many other details on his mind would remember a stupid thing like that about me. He is a real, a real taskmaster and he um, wanted absolute perfection. I mean, I've heard rumors about that he would fire you on the spot if you were chewing gum, but I've never heard, actually you know, heard of a, a case. But I, I, maybe they just floated that rumor around so everybody would be good. <laughs> because I know that when he, he and his family came into the park, they always rode this special car, old-fashioned open car, and everybody would say, Uncle Walt's in the park, Uncle Walt's in the park, and everybody would rush to the restroom and straighten themselves up and make sure that everything was perfect. And he did come through the tiki room a lot because it was his newest attraction. And he would bring family and friends in to see it and then say, take over, Diana. And, 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 I, would do all the, and I would do all the explanation and everything. I, I used to, of course, I was brought up you know, to be polite. I called him Mr. Disney and he said, he said, no, you're part of the family now. Call me Uncle Walt. But he considered everybody, every employee at Disneyland, his family. And I think we all knew him as Uncle Walt. Great. But the coolest thing was that he did so, such um, nice things for the employees, like the, um, the canoe races in the morning before the park opened. Those were awfully fun. And then the special dances after the park closed for employees and, and parties and mm -hmm. stuff. So, you know, he made it a fun place to work. Plus, we could, after hours, we could bring in friends free to have fun at the park if we wanted to stay at work <laughs> longer. <laughs> There was no other VIP hostess. Oh, since, I think my, you said something about salty language at one time. <laughs> oh, well, I didn't want to bring that up now. But I was surprised because, you know, I was a little girl. I can cut that out, okay. but go ahead and tell me. Okay. As a little girl, you know, I, I watched Walt Disney every Sunday night when he came on and mm -hmm. talked about everything. And I just thought he was a really nice old man that, that had this great idea to build this park. In fact, we saw the park being built because it was just flat, nothing but orange groves in that part of the world. And my dad used to take us down and then as we went through Fullerton we would see suddenly this big mountain in the middle of nowhere as they were building the Matterhorn. And so we saw the park evolve as well. And then of course I was a huge fan of the Mickey Mouse Club. But um, so we always knew this man as being, you know, this nice old man. And when something didn't go quite his way, he had a mouth of what my father called a sailor. It was very, it was very hard. I winced the first time I heard him swear. And you worked there from when? Did, when 1963, was it? June 1963. I think I finished in either 65 or 66 when I started practice teaching and couldn't mm -hmm. do it anymore. Yeah. So you worked 
your way through college? During yes, that? yes. Oh. Mainly in, back in those days, a lot of it was on weekends during the year, mm-hmm. and then during the summer it was full-time. And when I was in college, I worked at Five Lanterns Restaurant every weeknight to work my way through college because it was in my home, it was in Whittier, right near Whittier College. And the boss was really nice. He let me do my homework. I was sitting at the cash register as a hostess and, and cashier. So he would let me do my homework. And um, so I was able to, to get all that done um, on the weekdays. And then I'd work at Disneyland on weekends until summer. So now, tell me, tell me about the catalog. Quan Quan Company, yeah. My boss at Five Lanterns knew Mr. Quan, and he was looking for um, a girl to, rep- to go to trade shows with him mm-hmm. and just be kind of the token person to hand out brochures and catalogs and things. Sure. And um, so I went to meet this man, and he liked, I guess, the way I looked, so he asked me to model for his catalog. Yeah, but I remember I thought how strange it is for this old Chinese man who owns the company to be down on his hands and knees trimming my grass skirt because the the edge of the the bottom of the skirt was all crooked and he wanted it to be a perfect product represented in his catalog. So here he was on his hands and knees with the scissors trimming it around. <laughs> I thought that was funny. I was at that time earning I think only 75 cents an hour or maybe 80 cents an hour at Five Lanterns and um, starting salary for ride operators at Disneyland was $2 an hour. So it was a huge increase in pay, you know, to double your, more than double your pay. Yeah. And even when they deducted the union dues and everything, you still earned a lot more take home than you did anywhere else. Yeah. But I also earned a lot um, working weekends. My father had a Hawaiian band and he had a, a contract with Castaway in Burbank. It was uh, Hawaiian stuff was really popular in the '60s, mm-hmm. and 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 so he, they used to have huge luau's where they even put the pig under the ground in the emu in the pit, you mm-hmm. know. And they used to have big luau's every Saturday night, and so my dad's band would play, and I was a dancer for that. And that and that was in the '70s or the '60s. And that was in the '60s. The '60s. Was, so that was a great deal of money then. Yes, it was because that's between Five Lanterns. And the hula on the weekends and weekend nights and working at Disneyland weekend days, I was able to cover my... Actually, I didn't have to cover my college expenses. I did have to pay for books, yes, and gasoline for my car. But um, I, was on a, I was a National Merit Scholar, so I had a free ride four years anyway. My major was social, social sciences, and my minor was English. But for 30 years, I taught math. <laughs> I started teaching at a Royal Seiko Junior High School in 1970, and that's here in Valencia. Mm-hmm. And I met a fellow teacher whose name is Jan Tavares. And when he found out that I was working the tiki room, he was fascinated by that because it turns out that his father had done the voices of the tikis, you know, the chanting, 
and he says, you do tell them, whenever I talk to him, he always says, you do tell them that it was my father who did the tiki voices, right? <laughs> <laughs> What, what was his father's name? Ernie Tavares. And his daughter was one of my star students, and she is now teaching at Valencia High School and is taking her choir. And she gave tribute to me on my 65th birthday. She brought, as a surprise, 32 kids from her jazz choir to sing for my birthday party. Your nationality is Hawaiian? or I'm, I'm part Hawaiian, one-fourth Hawaiian, three-quarters Chinese. And everybody wanted to take the picture of you and they all guessed your They race all thought I was their race. The Koreans all said, you're Korean, and I said no. They'd all say, you know, and, and no matter what race they were from, for everything from Filipino to um, Japanese, they, they claimed me as... Because nice. we had the costumes and with the look. Um, did you get a lot of male attention? A lot of male attention, of course, because of... Beca- and our, our supervisor was always there to, to shoo the guys away. <laughs> <coughs> this was my, my supervisor. Oh, I love The lead man, my lead man. You met your, your husband? He was from the East Coast. He didn't know anything about West Coast culture or especially anything about Hawaii at all. Mm-hmm. And he just knew that he liked me. And he used to sit on the bench across from the tiki room and just sit there and, and stare at me. And so he came up, and of course, he was in his Air Force blues and looked so yummy. So I told him my name was Aloha. I don't know what possessed me to do that. The next weekend, he came back. And um, he asked the other girls who were taking tickets, where, where was Aloha? And they came running in saying, what did you say to him? <laughs> I said, I told him my name was Aloha. He's asking for you. Because <laughs> all the girls are pointing to him, you know, giggling. And so I did finally decide to go out with him. And we, we did get married. We had three children. My postcard. The famous postcard. She's facing the camera. <laughs> Can you believe it was almost 50 years ago? The, this is Barbara. Yeah, she and Barbara I were Phillips. really good friends, Barbara Phillips. But the other girl that was with me in this picture is Terry, Terry Kokuda, and I remember her very well, too. Of course, everybody who, who's in a postcard for Disneyland has to sign a waiver that you won't ask for royalties or anything. Mm-hmm. It, I thought it was cool that it was sold until... Oh three! I, every time I hear da 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 da, immediately, wow, you know. Well, the three of us uh, spent most of the afternoon talking, and we got a. I was very privileged to get a look at Diana's scrapbooks, and she had tons of photographs of her back when she was in high school and in college and a lot of her working at the Tiki Room and it was a lot of fun to just sit there and lazily go through the the photos and have her recall a lot of the stories about the different photos and and her father's uh, hula troupe and uh, and of course working at the Tiki Room. 
Now, Diana did did a whole lot more in her life than just work at the Tiki Room, obviously. I mean, she was a school teacher, and like like she said, she taught math, and she also taught choir and, and got to take her choir all over the country and, and was quite proud of that. And she is a musician. She's a, she's a pianist. And she used to play the vibraphones, which I'm quite fond of. Recently, Diana unfortunately had a stroke and lost the use of her left hand, but it didn't slow her down one bit. And while I was there, she demonstrated to me uh, a piece on the piano that was written for the right hand only, and she played me a little piece of that, and I was really, really thrilled to get a chance to, uh, to, to experience that. look back at how many years ago I it was 40 what 45 46 years ago that I would work at Disneyland so I'm very very honored to have these kinds of connections in 2008 the enchanted tiki room at Disneyland celebrated its 45th anniversary the attraction has been open for 45 years of 46, counting 2009 now, and it's still going strong. There have been a few little updates to the show, but it's pretty much stayed exactly the same as when Diana first started it 45 years ago. And personally, I remember going there as a very, very young kid, and I remember my mother's favorite attraction was the Enchanted Tiki Room. So when we got to Disneyland and the park first opened, her first mission was to see the very first Enchanted Tiki Room show. So I'm sure all of you out there listening have uh, fond memories of that if you visited Disneyland as a kid. I would like to give a big mahalo out to Diana, Lai, and to Dano. I mean, I really, really enjoyed that. My Mai Tai is empty, and I've had a wonderful time in this episode. I hope you did too. I hope you really enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed the interview. I want to remind you that you can go to the Quiet Village at any time by going to digitiki.com and clicking on the podcast button where you can get a complete rundown of all the tunes in this and other episodes. Till next time, folks. Aloha. Tuning in the Tiki Room. Ladies and gentlemen, Disneyland has now ended its normal operating day. We hope you've enjoyed your visit to the Magic Kingdom and that you'll be back with us again soon.